Welcome back to the Conscious Couple Podcast with Bryce and Jenny. Today it's just me. Jenny is on a girls trip that she does every year to California. So I think there are like 16 girls out there. Sounds super crazy, but I hope she's having a good time and I wish her safe travels coming home. I'm not much for long introductions, but I do want to remind you that if you're interested in our live event happening at the beginning of May, you can go to our website, www.advancedrelationshipacademy.com, and get more info or reach out to us if you have questions. And remember, you can also send any questions you have to us, and we'll try to get them answered on the podcast. Today, I'm super excited because I'm going to be answering the most Googled questions on the internet pertaining to relationships. And this was super interesting. A lot of these came up and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And some of them didn't make a whole lot of sense. I was surprised that they made the list, especially the first one. So I'm going to jump right into this. It's going to be rapid fire. You're going to hear a lot of my opinion. I might say some stuff that you disagree with, but that's okay. I really hope that the majority of this is helpful to you because I think if anyone's ever been in a relationship, some of these questions are going to make sense and you will have asked them before. So the first one is, is my partner cheating on me? Now, I have no idea if your partner's cheating on you and neither does Google, but my guess is that if you're at this point, you've probably let a lot of things slide, times when you felt unsafe, times when you had questions, and now it's built up to either this story or this reality that your partner's cheating on you. So a simple answer is you need to ask. I don't know a faster way than to ask, and they are probably going to get defensive whether they're cheating on you or not, and this is going to create a conflict. But if you have tools to work on this, then you can actually use that conflict to come into more understanding of each other, of your experience, and you can shift from the person who doesn't rock the boat and just buries their feelings and doesn't speak up to the person who stands up. And you'll want to do this no matter if that relationship works out or not. And it'll be helpful for them too, because if they're cheating on you, a lot of time, I mean, people want to be caught when they're cheating at their core. Hear it more and more. People don't really like to live an inauthentic double life. And if they're not cheating on you and they're just being really distant, this is the quickest way to come into more connection is to call it out, put it on the table and talk about it. I think if this is really scary, if you guys are really struggling with conflict and it just, you know, it's going to blow up and you don't think you can do it on your own, then yeah, you can get some support. I think that's the magic answer to a lot of this. If you don't feel like you can do it on your own, get some support. But the first step will just to be really presencing yourself with what the feeling is. What is this like to feel unsafe in the relationship? Oh, wow, it really sucks. Oh, wow, I'm really in pain. I want to change this. Really feeling what is, if it's uncomfortable, can be a great motivator. Next question. How do I ask someone out? And I like this. This is kind of cute and fun. And I haven't had a ton of issue with this back when I was dating. Uh, I kind of just did the just go for it approach. And it seemed to work out. I of course, had to get comfortable with getting shut down sometimes, but the confidence to really ask someone and make eye contact and, and be direct wasn't super hard for me, but I can see how it could be pretty hard for people, especially in this day and age when you're, you're starting off in a very impersonal 
form like Tinder or Facebook or Bumble, whatever you use, more and more people are finding each other on the internet, which is great. You can reach more people, but it's just less personal. So I think when you're asking someone out, you need to be really clear. Like we should hang out sometime isn't super clear. They may be like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'm a big fan of going on a coffee date the first time that I'm meeting someone. I don't want to go to a movie. I don't want to just sit next to someone and not talk. I really want to engage with them and figure out if I like them or not. So I want to do something where that is possible. Even doing an activity on the first date isn't always, for me, the best way to get to know someone because then the focus can be on the activity and I just feel like it's going to be a slower process. So set yourself up for connection. Allow it to be casual. You don't have to take someone out to a fancy dinner unless you want to. But I'm usually not going to invest a ton of time and energy into meeting someone for the first time. Because I remember in my dating life too, I there were a lot of people that I went through. There were just a lot of one-time coffee dates. And in order to really find someone who is a good fit, that's what it took. Now you may get lucky and just meet that person on the first try. And you may find that you have something that you really enjoyed and you want to do together, that's great. I just want to have a face-to-face conversation, short and sweet, with someone the first time to know if I want to see them again. And it's probably going to look like a text or a phone conversation where I ask, hey, i really like to get to know you. Do you want to grab coffee at noon at this location, yes or no, or give me a time or place that works for you? I don't want to spend too much time in the hey, hey, how are you, what do you do, what do you like to do, he, he, emoji, emoji, that just doesn't cut it for me. Next question, what does a healthy relationship look like? So me and Jenny are always talking about this. There's a difference between a healthy relationship, a really conscious relationship, and there's a wide range of what this can look like. But as far as what a conscious relationship looks like, where both parties are feeling really alive and healthy, and authentic, you need to be able to do supportive conflict. And I put those two words together on purpose because we often look at conflict as a bad thing, but there are ways to support each other through embracing conflict. You need to be able to share your point of view with your partner, even when they have a differing point of view, and work through it until you can get to a win-win. And that takes skill and it takes practice. There needs to be a balance between separation and connection. What it looks like if you're leaning heavy on the separation side is it'll be two people living separate lives and coming together at times. Usually the focus will be more on just like fun and activities. And it seems like over time this doesn't work because there's just not enough connection being created. And so just kind of turn into roommates. And if a couple is leaning heavy on the connection side, that'll probably look more like codependency. The focus is always on we. There's an inability to disengage and you're just emotionally enmeshed. So you'll probably know if this is balanced or not just based on how you're interacting with your partner. If you're having healthy, productive conflicts and there's a general safe and pleasant feeling when you're in their presence, it means you're probably balanced. 
if you're like, who is this person? Or you're like, oh, they're just driving me nuts. And they're just like always in your awareness. You're either too far into the connection or you're so separate that they cease to seem like they're really a part of your life. So you get to be the judge here in, in balancing that out. And it's a day-to-day thing, depending on life circumstances. I also think that both people need to be actively working towards goals. I've been in relationships in my life where I either wasn't really on my path or they weren't really on their path or both of us weren't and just started to feel not good because we're already feeling discontent about our lives. And then we come into this relationship and there's just a lot of tension, a lot of irritability and anger and frustration and trying to use the relationship to make that feel better works for a little bit more in the honeymoon phase and then it doesn't. So that's my take on all that supportive conflict, separation and connection, the balance and actively working towards life vision and goals. Next question, how do you know when your relationship is over? I think everyone needs to really understand what their non-negotiable needs are. So if you're coming into a relationship and one person is like, yeah, I want to just kind of keep it open, and the other person's like, I really want monogamy, it's over right there. If if that's a non-negotiable for you, it's over right there. If you want kids and they don't, it's over right there. If that's really a non-negotiable, it wouldn't make sense to continue on in the relationship with not having a very important need of yours met. For me, one question that kept coming up later on in my relationship, I would ask my partner if they were willing to get support either from a coach or a therapist. And this was a really great indicator because if someone is not willing to get support on the relationship, they're not willing to invest money or time or put in any effort, they're not the one for me. And some people might just be like, yeah, we're just going to go about this as best we can. That's fine. I think that to get good at anything, you really need some type of mentorship. So that's a non-negotiable for me. But this is about you, not them. Some people come into the relationship wondering if it's over from the we perspective, like, is this over? Is this not? And you don't need to consult the other person. If you feel like this isn't working for you, and it depends where you are in the relationship. If you're if you're earlier on, maybe you just pull the plug. If it's really not working for you, if you're married or you have kids, I mean, it's way more complicated. It may, may take way more time. But if it's really not working for you, that's when it's over. It's not when they say it's over. It's not about you waiting for them to show up in a certain way. You get to decide. It's your life. Next question. How many dates before we are exclusive? So for me, this is pretty black and white. Usually prior to getting physical with someone, I would ask if we were going to be exclusive. I'm just not a fan of the idea that someone could be physical with me one day and physical with someone the next. Now, hanging out, doing fun stuff, talking, getting coffee, that's all good. And if someone's in the beginning of the relationship, if someone's dating, trying to figure out who's going to be a good fit, that's fine. But after it gets physical, that's that's when I really draw the line of exclusivity. But again, it's it's up to you. Next question, and I think this one is really funny, and it is there is a gender bias here, but I'm going to just answer it how it's how it's asked is why is he not calling me back? And I immediately thought of that typical male-female stereotype where he doesn't want to connect and she really does. She's chasing and he's avoiding. 
this is not always how it is, but it just seems to manifest more often across gender lines. And I do think part of this in being a masculine man myself is I was just trained. I was indoctrinated into this idea that I'm, I need to be independent and take care of myself and not lean on anyone else for emotional support or really any other support once I became an adult man. And so in doing that, I, I developed really powerful ways to distract myself from emotion. So even in dating, I a lot of times would look at it as a little bit of a game subconsciously where I could see if I'm not reaching out, then I could gauge where the woman was in this process by when she engaged. So it was a little bit of a cat and mouse game. And back when I was involved in, I think, more immature relationships, that's how it would be played. I wouldn't call or text back, and then they would, and there would be a little bit of a, a power struggle there. And again, this was happening mostly unconsciously, but looking back, if I wasn't reaching out to someone and playing this little game, it was usually because I wasn't that interested in them. Because when I was really interested in someone, I would reach out. I couldn't resist the urge to ask them, ask to see them again or go do something. But a lot of times when I was just in the beginning phases of dating and I wasn't like super sure yet, I just wouldn't respond and see what happens. So odds are if you're the female in this situation, my best advice would be don't give up too much of your power here. If they're not responding, they're probably not interested or they're just not good at showing up. You, you probably don't want either. And if you're the man and realizing that, oh yeah, I kind of do this sometimes, that's fine. But the, but the issue is that you're going to keep stirring up drama in your life because you're not really going to be connecting and allowing space for a real relationship. You're just going to be stringing women along, potentially hurting women's feelings through this system of gaming. And you're probably going to stay single. Maybe that's what you want. Maybe you want to date around. I find that when we really dig down deep, especially with men, to what they really want, even though it seems like they want just like their own life and to do their own thing, they also really want a deep connection. And it's interesting that men tend to confide most in their partners, even more than they do their male friends. And I found this was the case for me. So we both really need each other. It isn't so much about gender. But that might be why you're not getting called back. Next question. How do I make a long-distance relationship work? Well, first it depends what you mean by work. If you mean that you're just staying together, I mean, you could do that indefinitely. It depends what you're willing to put up with. I don't think that a really connected relationship is going to be supported by being long-distance. I think the physical interaction is super important. So I don't think that you're going to get a deep connection from afar. I think it could start that way. I mean, if I'm just taking a guess at it, I think you could do that for even up to a year. But at some point, I mean, what are you doing? If you really want to move the relationship forward, you probably need to live in the same area. So if you're in this like, eh, I'm unsure if this is going to work out, start setting boundaries, making plans, or move on. Unless you're cool with the long distance thing and talking on the phone and seeing each other sometimes is good. Because maybe it is. I recently worked with a woman who was divorced and 
she was doing, she was in a long distance relationship and she really wanted her partner to move out, to be with her. She had kids and he was flying out like once a month or once every other month. And she was trying to hold his feet to the fire. And as we began talking more about this and the real possibility of him moving out to be with her, she realized that she was actually really scared of that and really didn't have time for that and really wasn't ready for that. So that's fine. Just depends where you are. Next question, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this one because I see this come up a lot. This has to be one of the most misunderstood topics as far as relationships go that I'm aware of, that I see. So the question is, how do I get over someone? And what I notice, this happened in my life, it happens with people that I'm working with, is the immediate response, and this is, we call it like the rebound, is to run from feelings. So yes, a relationship ended. You feel sad, maybe you feel mad, maybe you feel grief. Maybe you had a best friend or your spouse, someone who helped raise your kids with you, and they go from being so important and such a big part of your life to slowly becoming maybe even nothing. You're going to go through all these different emotions when that happens. And what people tend to do is they tend to just lean into their distractions. So drinking, porn, social media, shopping, watching Netflix, eating food, whatever it is that we like to do to distract ourselves from the feelings, it's going to all of a sudden look like we have this giant problem. And what's really interesting is that people tend to support it. Like, oh yeah, it makes sense that you're doing all these unhealthy behaviors because you're sad. And people don't tend to challenge that much because that's how a lot of people deal with it. But really, it's just the manifestation of the resistance to the feelings. So to really get over someone, we're going to need to really sit with what is in each moment. And it's painful and we've trained ourselves our whole lives to not be with these emotions. We may have even stayed in the relationship to avoid feeling them. And then all of a sudden they come rushing forward. And they could be over they could be so overwhelming that you just feel numb and you're just like kind of zombie walking around like doing things but not feeling connected to life. That's okay too. But I really think that you're going to have to sit and be with those feelings and it helps to have a witness or two friends, family that can really be with you and those feelings. It's also a great time to get support if you're really not able to and you just find yourself running away. And then once you're able to do that and really be with your experience and realize that these are feelings and they're not a problem, then you're going to need to balance out your more negative feelings and judgments with gratitude. So this would be the exploration phase of the poet process that me and Jenny work with. And you'll need to connect the dots in a way so this makes sense to you. It makes sense that things went the way they did. You'll have to draw conclusions of why this was a benefit in your life. Because it's easy to look at it as it's just all negative. It's just all hard. But there were benefits to how everything played out. And you'll need to look at how you've been strengthened and how this other person played a huge part in that. Even if they were doing things that you didn't like. Because they were just being them. And when you can say, oh, wow, yeah, I'm actually really grateful that that this happened, that this person was in my life, even though we caused each other pain, then you will experience the feeling of being over someone. You'll feel more relaxed about it. It'll make more sense. It'll be balanced. 
and you're also going to have to own your own part with this. So really taking them out of the equation as well and going, hey, what did I do to, to draw this into my life? Not from a shame standpoint, but if you drew an emotionally unavailable person into your life, why was that? Were you emotionally unavailable? Are you emotionally unavailable currently, right now? That's information for you to work on something because there is for sure a connection between what we draw into our life and what we need to work on always. Some people try to deny this fact, but it's true. We got two more questions left. The next one is, how do you build trust in a relationship? The simple answer is intimacy. And to do that, you need to be vulnerable. And to do that, you need to be doing some kind of inner work so that you can actually share what's going on inside of you. A lot of people don't really know how to share what's going on inside of them, or they only know how to share the surface side of what's going on. But being in relationship with Jenny, being in relationship with my friends and family, the more that I can share, oh man, this is what's going on for me, whether it's comfortable, positive, negative, whatever it is, and draw these connections and really own my experience, the more people feel closer to me. And you've probably had this before. You have a friend that maybe they come to you and they're like, I want to tell you something. I've never told anybody this. And it's just whatever it is, and you're just like, oh my God, no matter how disturbing it is, for most people, this is an extremely strong bonding experience. I can't believe that you trusted me with this, with this secret, with this part of you that you had disowned, that you had tried to hide. So if you're not feeling trust in your relationship, it's probably because there's not a lot of intimacy and vulnerability. And it's not your fault. Maybe you just were never modeled how to do that, or you don't know how. So to do that, you'll have to dive into your own inner work. Again, I think getting support is the fastest way to do this, to have a coach or mentor guide you into this, because we tend to just look at things through our lens and it can be narrow, but that's how to build trust. Final question, how to save your relationship? Now, it depends where you are, obviously, if you're in the beginning of a relationship and a lot of negative things have already happened I don't know. I'm more of the opinion that, that you need to get out and really focus on yourself because there's something in there that's not really working. And if you've drawn someone into your life that also is really unstable, then it, it may be best to just, if it's in the first six months or so, just really focus on yourself there. And maybe you stay in the relationship, maybe you don't, but I wouldn't put too much focus on the relationship. It's going to be more about you. But if you're farther into a relationship, you're married, you have kids, something like that, bottom line, you need to get support from someone, from somewhere. You need to do something different, something that you haven't done. I don't know any other way. If there was some book that you could read, if there was some magic trick that you could just do, we probably wouldn't experience this 40 to 50% divorce rate in the United States. Not only that, even a higher number of people are unhappy within their relationships. So we're just, in general, not good at relationships. And that's okay. I think we're coming into a new paradigm where people are looking at what they really want to get out of life. They're feeling more free. More of our needs are taken care of. And that's conflicting with the traditional style of just stay together no matter what and don't have conflict. People are speaking up. People are learning more about themselves. Psychology is evolving. Relationship counseling is evolving. It may seem like it's 
getting worse, but really I think it's just presenting what already is, which is, hey, we're these really complex creatures that struggle with relationship in a lot of ways. But there's also a lot of hope for us because we have these high-powered brains that can work through these issues, but we got to know what to do. And that's why if I sound like a broken record as far as getting support, it's because you got to learn something new. And you can learn things in a book, but there's a big difference between learning something in a book and actually practicing it in real time with a professional there and working on it in the moment. It's kind of like your car. And most people don't know the inner workings of a car. You need to see a mechanic. And if you can learn from the mechanic how a car works, how to maintain it, you'll have less problems. It'll drive better, feel better. So anyways, this was a super fun episode to do. Hope you got something out of it. And me and Jenny look forward to connecting with you more and more. And our goal, our main objective here is to help people create the most intimate, loving, and powerful relationships on the planet. That's all. Thanks, guys.